Historically, I mark the anniversary of the Kennedy assassination, and I have done so for 24 years in pretty much the same fashion. In the early morning hours in the aftermath of November 22nd, I write and now I present what truly happened to John Kennedy. I don't go into as great a detail now as I used to because the evidence is all out there and it's for the taking. In this presentation, I'm going to talk about what happened to John Kennedy and then in subsequent broadcasts to follow this one right after the other, I'm going to be discussing freedom and what people have warned us about our time and how we are not listening. And John Kennedy gave us real clear messages. But first, I want to talk about what happened to John Kennedy. My name is Dave Hodges. I'm the host of The Common Sense Show. We are the show that's freeing America one enslaved mind at a time. I need you, when you hear this, to please spread this far and wide. This is an historical event, and for a lot of people, that'll mean boring and don't want to hear it. It's been 56 years since John Kennedy died. Why should you spread it? Because the message of the assassination is more relevant today, or I should say as relevant as it was when it happened. We're brought to you by Patriot Solar Bank. This is an amazing device. It's incredibly cheap. I mean, it's literally jumping off the, the racket, people, for next to nothing. And on top of that, you get to take 20% off using the coupon code HODGES20. The link's in the description box. And what is Patriot Solar Bank? Um, it's solar power. It can charge two electronic devices at once and does so quickly. It's used by the military, particularly covert forces, where they may be operating in an area where it's a grid down scenario. First responders use it. And I can't believe how inexpensive it is. And this is a necessary item to keep your electronics that you might find valuable uh, in the face of grid down scenario or power out where you can charge your devices. And it's all solar powered. There's a great demonstration at PatriotSolarBank.com. The link is in the description box. And don't forget to use the coupon code Hodges20. John Kennedy, not a perfect man. John Kennedy was growing into his manhood when he was killed. He began to understand the importance of the position he held and fully appreciate it. He fully appreciated his ability to shape the world for the better. And then he made it his mission to do so. And he took on the deep state of his day directly and forcefully. And for that, he paid for it with his life. I want to talk about some of the facts surrounding the Kennedy assassination. I'll tell you um, what you can look at to see who the real assassin was, the primary assassin. There were three hit teams in Dallas, but there was one primary. And I'll also talk about who was ultimately behind it, not who the hitmen were. And without writing a book about it tonight here on our channel, I'll give you some pretty compelling evidence that will tell you what happened. And I think it's important we talk about this more than ever before because Donald Trump faces a similar fate. Impeachment is disintegrating. 
right before our eyes. These people are running out of options and all of us, Steve Quayle and I had a, a very in-depth discussion tonight about many, many issues. My wife and I went and had our night out, but before we went, we were a little bit delayed because Steve and I had this important conversation and it went on for a while. And we both see exactly what's happening. Everything against Trump is being destroyed. I think Trump may be the beneficiary of our prayers of protection. I think the prayers that we have offered to the president for a veil of protection over his life and his presidency are being answered. I believe we're being given a reprieve for salvation in this country. I don't know if it's enough to save the nation. I pray that it is. I know it's enough to save your soul. And I know that it is. Donald Trump is the modern day JFK. Both men brought imperfections, character flaws to the office. Both men grew in their sense of responsibility and devoted duty to the people that they were elected to serve. Both men were transformed by the office and both men were transforming their country. Great leadership doesn't arise always out of great character and great men. God will use imperfect men from time to time. And personally, I am so proud of myself for voting for Donald Trump, and you should be too, that he's grown in ways that I didn't think were possible. I know historically that's true of John Kennedy. On the commonsenseshow.com website on the front page, you can find an article that I wrote about JFK. And I compared him to Trump, and I said, here's what JFK did, and who, here's how he was fighting against tyranny, and here's what Trump did. And the similarities are, are fairly striking. Trump is a bigger enemy to the deep state than JFK was. Trump has already done more than what JFK did. And Trump, amazingly, is still alive. Now, what happened that day in Dallas? When John Kennedy was a young naval ensign stationed in Washington, D.C., he met a lady named Ingrid Arvid. And I've talked about this before on this channel, uh, not knowing what her background was. She was actually a publicist for the Nazis, came to America under surveillance by J. Edgar Hoover of the FBI, and he meets her and promptly begins an affair. She was, I think, five or six years his senior and he was head over heels in love with her. J. Edgar Hoover had lightning in a bottle. Here's the son of a former ambassador who's carrying on with what could be a Nazi spy. Ended up she wasn't. She ended up uh, living the majority of her rest of her life in Tucson, Arizona, <clears throat> where she died at a pretty young age in her late 60s. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, Kennedy had this affair. Well, Joe Kennedy, the president's father, was notified about it and said, you'll break off the affair, son. Um, and he didn't tell him why. He said, but this is national security. And when he wouldn't, he moved. He was transferred to South Carolina and the affair continued. <clears throat> so they put him in the South Pacific and his providence would have it. <clears throat> John Kennedy won the Congressional Medal of Honor. And without that, I don't know that he becomes president. So... He arrives at the presidency, and it was fun time for the president. Jackie had actually considered divorcing him because 
John was not faithful. Allegedly, she was paid a million dollars by friends of the president to stay in the marriage. And this is something that I've come across many times. I don't know if it's true, but I think it's plausible. I think certainly in principle, something kept Jackie in that marriage when a lot of women would left. But then John Kennedy had a change of heart. Reality struck him in the face. And this young guy who was courageous, brave, intelligent, handsome, had a change in character, heart, and soul. And he began to take his presidential duties very, very seriously. He took on the Federal Reserve, just like Trump is doing today. Although Kennedy was more forceful because he produced C-notes, which were a direct threat to the Federal Reserve note. He said no to Vietnam. Trump has said no to Syria, Iran, Venezuela, and the South China Sea and not to mention North Korea. Trump has said no to five theaters of war. He used warmonger John Bolton to basically impede a Red Dawn invasion, which should be in part supplemented by forces from South America by tricking Bolton into putting 5,000 Marines in Colombia. And then he fired Bolton after he used him. That's why I say look for Bolton next week to become a star witness in the impeachment because he's got every single motive to lie. Colleen, thank you very much again. Ladies and gentlemen, John Kennedy took on the oil barons. He said, no, 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 no. You don't get the oil depletion allowance as much as you're getting. It's a ridiculous joke. No other business gets this. You've only got it because the Rockefellers are attached to it. President Trump has taken on the equivalent manufacturing. He said, I'll put some tariffs on you. You want to go out of the country, take your jobs with you? Fine. But if you want to stay here, I'll give you a carrot. I'll give you some tax breaks. Similar. I'm not going to run through all the similarities of the men, but let's just put it this way. They angered the deep state of their day, respectively, enough to warrant assassination. We know that the president made an unscheduled visit to Walter Reed Hospital. It wasn't for the reason stated. Okay, That's just not even a believable reason. I mean, President Trump people need to work on their cover stories. And we know why he was there. If you follow this channel, you know exactly why he was there. And you know that the attempts are continuing on his life. And I say continuing because this is one in a long line of many. And you're saying, well, why not just use an assassin like you did with John Kennedy? That's what I'm going to get into today. John Kennedy was killed by a man who allegedly had, this is just laughable, um, motive to kill him because he was a communist. This man was an unstable idiot. And he had a diary pre-stating what he was going to do. Oh, it just so happens that the man who killed Robert Kennedy, his brother, who was on his way to becoming the Democratic nominee for president, who would have stopped the Vietnam War, he was killed by someone with the same M.O. Oh, and let's not forget Martin Luther King. Single note assassin and a diary saying what was going to happen. Even the King family didn't believe the official version of the story. They visited the would-be assassin in prison. They walked away and Credit Scott King said, that ain't the guy. You got the wrong guy. Well, try the FBI because the day before King was killed, he had 11 FBI agents guarding him and the day he was killed, all of them had been reassigned and he had no agents guarding him. You could thank J. Edgar Hoover for that hit. Speaking of J. Edgar Hoover, you can thank him for being part of the Kennedy assassination. 
Let's get down to what happened to John Kennedy. First of all, it was not Lee Harvey Oswald. Now, I know the last version of American government investigation into the Kennedy assassination took place in 1977 called the House Select Committee on Assassinations. It arose out of the fact that after 14 long years, the American people said, we know we've been lied to. And when the Warren Commission was produced in 1964, which was the greatest work of fiction in American history, the people said, we don't believe this. There's too many holes. And the number of people that began to question the government started to rise. So the government bent to the pressure. Now, there just so happened that there was a, a motorcycle from the Dallas Police Department that had a microphone stuck in the on position, and the shots of the assassination were recorded at Dallas Police Headquarters. That became the centerpiece of the House Select Committee investigation in 77. And they concluded that there were two people firing from different directions, and the second shooter was most likely coming from the grassy knoll. And they ordered the Department of Justice to reopen the investigation into the Kennedy assassination. That was 1977. This is 42 years later, and I'm still waiting for the investigation to start. But great men like Jim Mars have done investigations, good investigations. I've contributed a couple pieces to this that I'll talk about before we get through with this. There are people who cared enough to say, I ain't waiting for the government. We're moving forward. Well, let me tell you why Lee Oswald was not the one. First of all, when Oswald was arrested, he was tested for shooting a gun. They gave him a paraffin test, a gun residue test. It's 99% accurate and he can't wash it off. And the test is good up to 48 hours. He was tested within hours. Now, he allegedly had fired eight shots that day, right? According to the official reports, he fired three shots at Kennedy and Governor Conley. He fired five shots into Officer Tippett in making his getaway. That's eight shots. Sorry, you're not getting away with having a, a negative paraffin test. He didn't fire any shots that day. But let's consider some other facts. And this is what kept America in debate for about three decades. We started to debate the forensics endlessly, and we never moved beyond the forensic into the who and the why and what they gained. And we didn't see that until Jim Marr's book, Crossfire, pushed Oliver Stone over the edge, and he said, I can't take it anymore. And he produced the movie JFK. That was a change in America's thinking, and oh, was the establishment pissed off at us. But let's talk about Lee Harvey Oswald. First of all, he was part of the Bay of Pigs operation, served under David Ferry. David Ferry had actually been a Civil Air Patrol commander when Lee Harvey Oswald was in high school. Lee Harvey Oswald joins the Marine Corps. He goes and is sent to a secret base for U-2 spy planes. Yeah, U-2 spy planes. This man, while he was in boot camp, failed his marksmanship test twice. Oh, you should consider this one very carefully. He then quits the Marines. He's allowed an honorable discharge because mama is sick. He goes home to New Orleans for a day, and then he goes to the Soviet Union and defects. 
And while he's there, we don't know a lot about his activities, but we do know he married Marina, the niece of the deputy director of the KGB. Oh, wait a minute. Now, hold on. That's pretty bizarre, isn't it? Now, he's a traitor on, on paper. He really isn't. I'll explain that in a minute. But he's a traitor on paper. So what they do, and then he's there for two years. And during that time, Gary Francis Powers is shot down. U-2 spy plane pilot. Sentenced to 10 years in a Soviet prison. Paraded out to the world as a spy on the Soviet Union. Made it very public. Oswald gets to come back to the United States. He should have been arrested as a traitor. He defected. And his Russian wife, who should have been considered an extreme national security risk, given who her family is, was allowed entry. And the State Department paid for their passage back to America. You see, what Oswald was, ladies and gentlemen, he was part of the American defector program. We estimate about 100 Americans would defect to the Soviets, pretending to be uh, traitors, and they would give classified information and it hopes that they would get more than their money's worth of classified information back in return. U-2 spy plane information is what we believe Lee Oswald gave the Soviets to gain their trust. What he brought back is not known to us. We've never been able to discover it, but we're quite convinced he was part of the defector program. So when he comes back, this man goes to work for David Ferry and the CIA. And they have connections to Dallas. They have connections to people in Dallas, organized criminals. We'll set that aside. Let's go to the day of the assassination, shall we? Oswald is on the sixth floor depository as a worker. The parade route for John Kennedy happened to be changed just three days before the assassination, and it was published in the paper. Can you say Secret Service violation? It is. You don't publish the, tr the, the parade route of a president or vice president. It's illegal. And if you look at the pictures of Dealey Plaza that day, windows open everywhere. That doesn't happen. They do walkthroughs. They tell people, don't open those windows or you won't like what comes back. But they're open everywhere. The president is the lead car. The lead car. Secret Service violation again. The president's car, when it goes around the bend from Houston on to Helm in front of the depository where he shot, goes down to 14 miles an hour. Violation of Secret Service protocols. I could go on and on and on, but you get the idea. You never have the president's lead car or the rear car in any motorcade. Ever, never, never. And Johnson's car was way the heck back. Is the last car. Okay, so let's go back to Oswald. He's in his perch, allegedly, and he has mail-ordered a Italian rifle. And the rifle was discovered to have had a defective scope. <laughs> yeah, you line it up, doesn't quite, oh, you got to move it over here a little bit because it doesn't quite line up on the crosshairs. Isn't that interesting? But it gets better. The mechanical firing time for this rifle without aiming I want to stress, without aiming, is somewhere around seven to eight seconds. Shoot, shoot, shoot. The shots, because of the 
assassination is covered in the Zapruder film shows the assassination took place in 5.6 seconds. And we're talking about, okay, you'd have to shoot, reacquire the site and the target, shoot again, reacquire and shoot again. You're probably upwards mechanically to, with a good shooter, to about nine to 10 seconds at best. And probably most people say it's about a dozen seconds. Now, they brought in Frazier, who was the top shooter of the FBI, and they tried to duplicate the shooting. Uh, no such luck. No one's been able to duplicate the shooting in that context. Oh, they've had some people say, oh, uh, we've done it over here. No, they haven't. That's a lie. They've never duplicated the shooting in that context, ever. So he, this man who flunked his marksmanship test twice while in the Marine Corps, a third time would have made 86 from the Marine Corps. See you later. He didn't do that shooting. It was impossible. And when they found the shell casings, this is even a better story. The Dallas detective, the homicide detective that came up, he has said this. He said, I put my mark on the shell casings, but there's something very odd about the shell casings. They lined up one, two, and three. You ever been around a gun that shoots and shell casings come out here and there and everywhere? But these just happened to land in a perfectly straight line. Perfectly. Wow. I, I just, you scratch your head at this. And this man who was detective, he said, I put my mark on these bullets. So I'd know when they were introduced into evidence and I had to give testimony. That was what I would testify to. This is crazy. And then, of course, the president, uh, executioner, supposedly, had to run from the window, okay, and hide the rifle and bury boxes on top of them and then run down to the second floor. They've had Olympic athletes try to duplicate this. They've timed it. Oswald did not do that. Olympic athletes couldn't uh, in, it basically do the time and the time that had taken for him to be sitting in the second floor lunchroom in the break room with witnesses in there, including the uh, manager of the book depository. That just absolutely did not happen. And then Oswald realized, oh, crap, I've been set up. Now, did he know about the assassination? I think he probably knew. But here's what's also interesting. They were going to frame Lee Oswald no matter what. You say, what do you mean? Well, there were Oswalds popping up all over the place on the president's parade route. They showed up in Houston and San Antonio. So if they didn't kill him in Dallas, they would have killed him in Houston or they would have got him in San Antonio. And just keep in mind, please, I've already reported on this recently, that uh, the Men That Killed Kennedy, the six-part series uh, that was produced by A&E, uh, one of the best documentaries ever in the history of, of TV, finally TV or something, they discovered that, I mean, th these facts are so incredulous here, I almost get choked up talking about them because I can't believe we've believed all their bullshit for all these years. But Lee Oswald probably was part of the assassination plot because he was part of the Dallas, or excuse me, the New Orleans Dallas cabal that was running guns for the Cuban refugees for the Bay of Pigs operation. He was part of that. When he was arrested, he had a naval ID card with the name Bill Heidel on it. It was a naval intelligence ID card. 
And that Heidel name is exactly the same name from which he mail ordered the gun they said they killed Kennedy. Plain and simple, right? That gun didn't kill Kennedy. But that gun will never be ballistically tested. That gun was a total fraud. In fact, you want to talk about uh, obstruction of justice? Try Lyndon Baines Johnson, the vice president. He arrives at Parkland Hospital where they took the president's body and for all intents and purposes, he was DOA. Still breathing, very shallow, but no brain activity. They knew he was dead. Lyndon Johnson comes in and he sees the limousine. It's got the blood. It's got the brain parts. It's got the bullet fragments. Should that not have been considered to be a crime scene? Well, of course it should. And you see, they couldn't have that car, the president's limousine, analyzed. Why? Well, because you'd either trace those bullets back to Oswald's gun or not. So what did they do? Lyndon Johnson ordered the car cleaned out by the Secret Service. And now this is one of my contributions to the Kennedy assassination knowledge base. My source will have since passed away and he never would go public because he feared for his life. He was part of a group of mechanics that were brought in. They would dress them in these airplane suits and they'd come in and they changed everything about this car. They changed the hubcaps. They changed the doors, the windshield, everything. He said, uh, and, and by the way, you're saying, how did you know this, Dave? I was speaking at a local college about the Kennedy assassination when I was approached by a young guy. He said, my uncle worked on changing up the limousine. I said, what? Will your uncle talk to me? He said, yeah, he'll talk to me. So I made a call to the 660, and I talked to him a number of times. I'm convinced he was telling the truth. He said, they searched us going in. They searched us coming out. They didn't have to worry about cell phone photos in those days because there was no internet. There was no cell phones. But they did, were very concerned about them taking stuff out. They had to sign a non-disclosure agreement, and they signed them to a national security oath, meaning immediate execution of sentence for violation of National National Security Act and National Secrets Act, and they would have put him in prison for 20 years had they talked. This is why the man was scared to death. But he told me, he says, that limousine, you know, they put over there in the National Archives, that ain't the president's limousine. We rebuilt that thing from scratch. Now, why would they do that? Because, number one, the bullets, as you'll see, were hollow point bullets. They didn't match up. Oswald's gun didn't fire that. Secondly, even if they weren't hollow point bullets, they didn't match up to Oswald's gun anyway. It's like, whoa, the fix is in, right? And the president should have had an autopsy in Dallas. There was no federal law governing presidential assassination at that time. So therefore, this is still a local crime in Dallas. And the local coroner should have done the investigation. And he tried to. Earl Rose came and says, stop. You're not taking the president's body anywhere, as he told the Secret Service, and you will not take the president's body. I am going to do an autopsy as prescribed by law. And the Secret Service formed like a phalanx, and they practically ran over Earl Rose as they got the body out. And, of course, we know the body changed from a casket to a body bag back to a casket. His body didn't make an uninterrupted journey to Walter Reed. We know that the autopsy was filled with just BS galore. It was run by the CIA. They brought in two doctors to do the autopsy 
who had never done a gunshot autopsy in their life. So here's the most important autopsy in the history of the 20th century. And what do they do? They bring in two rookies. And when they're done, they burn their notes. That's on the record. And there was a guy named Lieutenant Pitzer who was filming. He was filming a lot of this stuff. And he made the mistake of saying before he retired, I'm going to be going on the Tonight Show. He should have just shut his mouth because this will cost him his life. And he said, you know the Kennedy thing? He says, I filmed that. It ain't what they're telling people. Well, this man who was left-handed shot himself in the head with his, oh, excuse me, his uh, left-handed shot, uh, right-handed shot himself in the head with his left hand. His ring finger was so mangled that they had to cut it off. They had to cut the ring off. And they called it a suicide. I mean, that's just an example of what I'm talking about. And there were over estimated 360 murders that were tied to cover up the Kennedy assassination in one form or another. And people say they're worried about the Clinton Foundation. They have nothing on this group, this cabal that killed Kennedy. They stopped at nothing. They left no stone unturned. They, they killed um, uh, striptease artists that might have had some knowledge. Uh, they, they, they killed everybody. They killed Lee Oswald. Let's go to what happened to Lee Oswald. He temporarily gets away, and for some unexplained, bogus reason, he goes to a Texas movie house to watch a movie on World War II. Wait a minute. You allegedly just killed the president. You've just killed a police officer, and you've run into a movie theater. Why? Predetermined meeting place, if you're ever in trouble. And who met him there? I was supposed to meet him there. What well, we found out uh, from communications and underworld uh, insider information, Jack Ruby. Who was Jack Ruby? Well, he was known to the Dallas police, and Dallas police were very corrupt in that day. And he was known to them um, as the sugar daddy guy. And he would bring in topless waitresses from um, and dancers from New Orleans to Dallas to his carousel club. He entertained the Dallas police. They all knew who he was. This will become really important here in a minute. And because, because they knew who he was, two days after the assassination, he did not belong in Dallas police headquarters. And we'll get to that in just a minute. But what was he doing in New Orleans? He wasn't just procuring flesh. He was running guns from Dallas to New Orleans for the Bay of Pigs operation that Kennedy destroyed. And Bay of Pigs will be one of the reasons why Kennedy will be killed because out of that aftermath, that sham where they tried to trap him into attacking Cuba and using naval resources to do it, and he refused because it could have brought Russia into the war, um, he fired Alan Dulles, who, by the way, will be directing the Warren Report on his assassination. See, the Warren Report was made up of all Kennedy's enemies. Alan Dulles was just one example. And Alan Dulles was fired. Cabell was fired. By the way, the guy that changed the parade route in Dallas I mentioned earlier was Cavill's brother, the Dallas police chief. Gee, what a coincidence that is, right? So we go into the new situation where we know that Jack Ruby was part of Bay of Pigs. He was working for the CIA. He had been part of the Capone Mafia. And what did the CIA do? We know this, Operation Mongoose. They tried to assassinate Castro over two dozen times using mafia interests, and the mafia was interested in uh, getting Castro out because they lost their gaming casinos. This is what led to the rise of Vegas because they couldn't get the gaming casinos back in Havana because Castro had nationalized them all. 
So the mafia and the CIA were close partners, very close partners. And when we talk about CIA mafia hit on Kennedy, and you've always heard those rumors, that's where this came from. Well, Lee Oswald was in the carousel club several times. Many of the dancers said, yeah, yeah, we met Lee Oswald. We knew who he was. Always with Jack Ruby. But two days after the assassination and Oswald's in custody, they're going to transfer him from one facility to another. And Jack Ruby gets into the Dallas police garage. Who the hell were they keeping out? And he's allowed to get up to point blank range where he shoots and kills Oswald. Now, here's another contribution that I made to the Kennedy assassination. Sometime later, it was about eight years later, I was doing another presentation after the one that I, I came in contact with the man who did the body work on the president's limousine is I had another young man come up to me and he says, uh, my grandma uh, was uh, there when they brought in um, Oswald after he was shot by Jack Ruby. I said, really? And uh, he said, oh yeah. He said, and she, uh, she said, it wasn't as it was supposed to be. Now, this is before Dr. Crenshaw will come out. And if you don't know who Dr. Crenshaw was, he was the man who was in charge. And he was a resident there on, a, on a Sunday morning when they brought in Oswald. He, he said, I, I think we can save him. And he said, but he's lost a lot of blood. We're not sure. And he gets a phone call and it's on speakerphone. The, the, the nurse can hear it. The nurse is the grandmother of the young man who approached me. And she heard the whole conversation. Lyndon Johnson says to Dr. Crenshaw, how is the accused assassin doing? And then he gives the medical report and he says, I want a deathbed confession from the accused assassin. In other words, that man's not going to survive, but they want to try to get him revived so he can make what would appear to be a confession. Well, that never occurred, but the conversation occurred and it showed that the fix was in. LBJ was very much a part of this plot. So I talked to the young man's grandmother. She happened to live in Sun City, Arizona. She since passed. And she was hesitant to go forward. Dr. Crenshaw at this time had not yet come out with his story. He stayed quiet for 30 years. And I talked to the grandmother, the nurse, one year before Dr. Crenshaw came out. Dr. Crenshaw came out and he said on Geraldo Rivera's show, he said, yeah, this is what happened. He said LBJ was part of it. No question about it. And he said um, he was also aware of the Kennedy wounds. He said the president was shot. Uh, <laughs> he wasn't shot from behind in the head. He was shot from the front. He said the wounds had to have been altered from what he's seen. And he went very public with this. And they asked him, why would you stay quiet for 30 years? He goes, well, number one, he said, we knew some people were missing. They were disappearing. They were dying. You know, Ruby will die in custody under very mysterious circumstances. And he said, I was afraid. And also, too, I wanted my career. Now, he was very open about this. Well, in the interim of this, this nurse that I talked to passed away. But nonetheless, she did make a statement to Jim Mars. I hooked the two of them up and she gave Jim Mars a statement. And so we don't even need the nurse at this point because Crenshaw came out himself. Now, this is really interesting because we go forward with this. Ruby is now arrested. And, and like I said, short time later, he says, I don't think I like what I did here. Uh, hello, I want to go to Washington and speak to the Chief Justice Earl Warren. 
I'll tell everything I know. And on tape, he's asked as he's leaving the courtroom with his petition. They said, do you know who killed Kennedy? Yes. Who are they? They're very powerful people. That's when America kind of got the idea, hey, there's more to this than meets the eye. And two weeks before this, Dorothy Kilgallen, who was on a show called What's My Line? She was a guest contestant, but she was more known as a columnist at that time um, for the New York Post. And she told her producer, um, I'm going to Dallas. Oh, yeah, what are you going to do, Dorothy? I'm interviewing Jack Ruby, and we're going to blow the lid off the Kennedy assassination and the cover-up that's going on. That next day, she died of alcohol barbiturate overdose, the same as Marilyn Monroe. What a surprise. And no one believed that she would have committed suicide. These are just some examples of what I'm talking about. Okay, now let's go back to Lee Oswald. Lee Oswald's given the cover story. I'm an avowed Cuban supporter, hands off Castro, and he had fair play for Cuba. There was one member of that group, him, and he paraded outside 455 Camp Street in New Orleans with a sign, hands off Cuba, fair play for Cuba. And he was by himself. What was behind him? Well, it was the building where the CIA was running guns for the Bay of Pigs operation. Oswald was out in front providing cover. In other words, fair play for Cuba. I'm a Castro supporter. I'm a communist. And behind, they're doing the takedown planning of Fidel Castro. He was a CIA agent. When he went to Russia, he was a CIA agent. He had a phony intelligence ID card when he's arrested. He was a CIA agent. He ordered the rifle that could be traced to him. They said that killed Kennedy, and he mail ordered it when there were no gun control laws in 1963, and he could have walked into any store and bought the gun for $20 less than what he paid for it by mail order. Why did he do it? Because he was ordered to do it. And they ordered him to do it so they could pin him to the assassination with phony evidence. So... Let's go to Dealey Plaza, that day in Dealey Plaza. What happened there? What happens there is a matter now of record. There's a lot of noise, a lot of fake releases, a lot of trolls that go on the internet and they publish their nonsense to try to dilute the truth with fake conspiracy theories. This is not fake. It's not a conspiracy. It's the way it is. All the evidence points to the fact that there were three hit teams in Dallas. Not the sixth floor depository, but on the roof of the sixth floor. Also, we know that there was shooting from behind the president. That's the wound in the back of the neck. Okay. And we know that because in the Dow Tech's building behind the president, they had prisoners in a jail that said, yeah, there was shooting right there above us. And then we have the infamous grassy knoll. And this is where the evidence is overwhelming. And this is where I think I made my greatest contribution. I know who the man was that killed the president. And you can look this up on the net now and you can decide for yourself and piece together the evidence in the same fashion I did. But here's what we know. We don't have one eyewitness and one person with firsthand knowledge, unlike Shifty Schiff. We have four witnesses that names the assassin on the grassy knoll. And it's incredible the detail that we have. Okay, first of all, we have a, a man who's out of the Marine Corps. And like I said, I'm not going to go into great detail, detail here, but I'm just going to paint the case. 
he's just home on leave and he's got a 16 millimeter Kodak camera and he's going to film the uh, president's motorcade. And he does the assassins behind him and off to the right behind the picket fence. The assassin comes down and this man says, well, he had powder burns. And he said, did you just uh, take the uh, shoot, shoot uh, take pictures of the president? He said, yes, I did. Give me the film. And then he kicked him and he walked off. This man's wearing a Dallas police uniform and he's got powder burns. Okay, that's one. No one believed this guy. No one believed him whatsoever. Until, until Marianne Mormon's photo came out. Now, in Dealey Plaza, fake FBI agents at Secret Service were canvassing the grassy knoll area and they were seizing everyone's camera and they were saying, we'll give this back to you in 10 days. And no one ever got anything back except this lady who took the photo. It went into her purse. And she left it there. And then she knew some people from Eastman Kodak. And she said, you know, 25 years ago, so it's now 1988, 25 years ago, I took um, pictures at Dealey Plaza. And I think I may have something there. And she never touched it. So these two men, secretly led by Gary Mack, who, by the way, became the curator of the book depository when it was turned into the museum to the assassination. And Gary Mack, and, and I think he kind of jumped sides, but he was very much a proponent of the conspiracy theories against Kennedy for a long time. And he took this film and secretly they blew it up over time. And it was like, OMG, look what we've got here. And you had, first of all, in the background where the grassy knoll is, you have the picture of Kennedy, his head's coming off. So the, the picture is one sixth of a second after the shots fire. And then in the background, you have the trees and everything and, you have the picket fence, and you can't really see much. They began to colorize the photo. They began to enhance the, the pixels. And eventually, they get it down to where it becomes the badge man photo. Look up the badge man photo. Look at it carefully. You'll see a man, Caucasian. You'll see the muzzle flash. You'll see the Dallas police emblem uniform. You'll see the badge. And they call this the badge man photo. That's the man that killed John Kennedy. That's the man that was identified on the grassy knoll. Another guy named Ed Hoffman was up on the bridge looking down on everything. And he saw this whole encounter. He, he was a deaf mute. And he tried with a translator to go to the FBI and give him information. And they blew him off. So there was another witness. But here's another thing that we know. A guy named Steve Ravel, a really good reporter. And he knew Jim Mars quite well. He was investigating the Kennedy assassination too. And he came across a guy named Christian David. Christian David will get the original contract to kill John Kennedy. It went CIA mafia to the Toronto corridor. And then it went to Marseille, France, where that was one of two places in the 1960s. If you needed white assassins that could blend into the American South, that's where you would have gone to get your assassins. And they were the old French connection, heroin trafficking organization out of Marseille, France but they also were the top assassins of the world of their day. And they were for hire for groups like the Mossad, the CIA, or whatever criminal organization wanted to use their services. So Christian David was the head of this organization and he had been arrested for the murder of a French policeman. The um, Steve Revelle helped get him more favorable prison conditions if he would allow his lawyer to talk to Steve. And he did. And here's what they told Steve Ravel. 
Uh, Christian David was offered the contract. He turned it down. But he said, I know someone that might take it. And he turned it down because it was to take place inside the United States. But he said, I know someone who would do it. And he said, the code of silence, the vendetta prevents me from saying the name initially. But eventually, Steve Ravel will get confirmation that it was a man named Lucien Sarti. And they said, this man's really good. He'll dress in a disguise. He's multilingual. He is the best at what he does, and he's known for taking extreme chances. Well, what's this man in, in Dealey Plaza? A Dallas police uniform. He has a spotter next to him that you can see in the badge man photo wearing a railroad outfit. Well, what was behind the picket fence? A railroad yard where a watchman looked down and he saw what happened and no longer could they ignore him from the Warren Commission and they didn't call key witnesses, but he was out there too much. So they said, well, let's bring in Lee Bowers. And it was phony baloney uh, questions that wouldn't lead to real exposure. He did his best. And then shortly after that, he died in a single car accident outside Midlothian, Texas. Um, yeah, the fix was in. So Christian David passes the contract on to Lucien Sarti, who in turn carries the contract out. Now, remember, I said he's only one of three hit teams, but this just happens to be the information we have on one of the three. The other two hit teams are rather nebulous, but we believe on top of the book depository, there was a group of South African assassins that were brought in. Um, that's something I'm not convinced is really confirmed. And the assassins that were behind the president, and the clinical, you would have triangulation, right? President comes into a plaza. It's like shooting fish in a barrel. And you've got Book Depository, Dow Tech's building, Grassy Knoll. And Christian David said the shooting took place on the horizontal and that Lucien Sarti used hollow point bullets. Well, what do you see about the president's brain? Boom, off, back of his head, blown off. And you see the starting of that in the Mormon photo. Well, the people who worked on Kennedy at Parkland Hospital, both, both doctors said he had an avulsed opening in the back of his brain that you could have stuck your fist into. That's a hollow point bullet. But it also says something else. The shot came from the front. The front ladies and gentlemen, not the back. Isn't that interesting? The doctors. Were the doctors called to testify at the Warren Commission? No. How do you not call the doctors who worked on the president when he was brought in? Because they didn't want to know the truth. That's why. That's why. So we have the Christian David account. And he said, by the way, the man was on the horizontal, which meant it's street level. That's where the picket fence would be on street level. The other ones were in buildings. And by the way, as I started to say, and I lost the thought, the president was also the victim of assassination attempt in Miami two weeks earlier. I've reported on that earlier. And that was done on the men that killed Kennedy and an undercover gun sting, uh, gun running sting operation uh, recorded this on tape. And this appeared on the men that killed Kennedy. So Kennedy was already the victim. And remember I said they were having Oswalds pop up in different locations. This was part of that operation. First it was Miami, then it was Dallas, then it was to be Houston, then it was to be San Antonio. That was the order that they were going to get the president. They were going to kill him no matter what. It was a fait accompli. But there's more that we know. Uh, Ravel searched two years for a man he had been told 
had been involved in the payment of the assassins. And he tried and tried. He took out coded ads. He traveled all over the world. He was unsuccessful. And by the way, this is all on uh, TV archives. The men that killed Kennedy, good luck trying to get it. But it exists. Millions have watched it. And, and also Jim Mars got details that was not on that particular episode. And so I'm going to give you the whole thing, not just what appeared on A&E. And eventually, Ravel finds a guy in South America. His name is Michel Nicolet. He was the paymaster. Originally, the assassins were paid in heroin, and it was converted into American cash, and it was Nicolet that did it. He appears on the show. Blacked out face, okay, can't see him. He describes the assassination with the same stunning detail as Christian David's lawyer. There's no derivation in the story. They're exactly the same. And this man's in the witness protection program. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? And Ravel was able to find this witness um, in South America because he had a contact inside DEA that was equally pissed off because he knew that there was phony, baloney business going on with the killing of Kennedy. All this information out there in the 90s, and this is in the aftermath of the JFK movie that kind of woke up the country. Nothing happened. No justice for John Kennedy. But we know what happened. And there's so much more to this story I could tell you. Just like the, the phony baloney um, story about the assassination. Oswald supposedly fired three shots. Three shots, three hits from a guy that couldn't pass a marksmanship test in the Marine Corps. In a time frame that no one could duplicate. And he also had to shoot through brush that would have been growing at that time of year that would have blocked part of his vision for the third shot. Now, they had a problem. Bucky Walters, a sheriff for the county, he had a friend next to him who had been struck by a bullet deflection into his cheek. So now the Warren Commission had a third shot to account for because it didn't hit. So now they got three wounds. They got John Conley and they got John Kennedy. So who do they have here? They have a shot in the back. They have the blown off head. That's two shots. And then you have this. You have Conley, whose arm is up on the window, holding his Stetson. The bullet pulverizes five inches of his fourth rib, exits, exits, okay, goes up, and then comes back down and strikes the radial bone of his wrist. Yet, this would have happened in a millisecond, correct? Okay. Almost two seconds later, in frame 224 of the Zapruder film, we see Conley still holding the Stetson. Does it sound very likely? No, of course it doesn't. They weren't shot by the same bullet. But that's what the Kennedy assassination people tried to tell you. The Warren Commission frauds tried to say that the bullet that entered Kennedy's upper back, neck, exited, came up, went down, smashed here, okay? And then it came over here and went straight down into his thigh. And magically, that bullet popped out at Parkland Hospital on a stretcher. But the stretcher attendant said, that's not where I found this bullet. It wasn't on the governor's stretcher. It was on that stretcher. But no one paid attention to that. And interesting, have you ever seen the pristine bullet? Look it up. They show bullets fired into cotton wadding. They're distorted. 
they're splintered. But this bullet had never been fired. And this is the bullet they're passing off. And Cyril Wecht and all these great people that do autopsies said, this is not even believable. Yet this is the fiction that passed for fact in 1964 with the Warren Commission. What an ever-loving joke. So Lucien Sarti is the assassin. He's the man who fired the fatal headshot. He himself will die later in a gun shootout in 1975 in Mexico City, the details of which are classified. Can't get the information. So he clearly was an intelligence asset. But there's more to the story. Who did it? Is this what you want to know? Would you like to know who did it? The timing problem, the magic bullet, all that. Okay, forget all that crap. Oswald defecting, bringing back a Russian wife, uh, KGB relationships. Okay, forget all this. Do you want to know how you can build a case to tell you who did it? And you don't have to be very bright to figure this out. What do you do when you investigate a homicide? If it's a messy crime scene, Generally, it's a crime of passion. Someone's really pissed off. If it's a clean crime scene, it's a planned hit. And generally speaking, follow the money, you'll solve the crime. The president's crime scene, pretty clean. Let's follow the money, shall we? John Kennedy was going to withdraw American combat advisors and not commit American combat troops to Vietnam. The advisors were going to come home by December of 1964. Both John Kennedy and the president of South Vietnam said, we don't want American ground troops in Southeast Asia. That actually, the South Vietnamese president felt that would cause him more political problems at home if they had American soldiers on the streets than if the Americans just gave them aid and we'll train our soldiers and we'll fight the communists. Well, the president of South Vietnam and his brother were executed by the CIA. That's not, that's not in dispute. And that was early November. And on November 22nd, John Kennedy is executed. Linda Johnson gets into office, and we have the phony baloney Gulf of Tonkin incident. We know that's uh, more, more phony than a $3 bill, and that will be used as the excuse to put 100,000 ground troops in Southeast Asia, in South Vietnam, and that will grow to a half a million. Well, that's one thing. The Vietnam War was big money. I've mentioned this before in the last two days. Chrysler Corporation got 90% of all U.S. defense defense contracts for the Vietnam War. And the Vietnam War would be contracted out to Bell Helicopter, also owned by the same people that owned Chrysler, and to all these other defense industries. The Chrysler Corporation made the first hit on money, taxpayer money, because they were the middleman. Who owned Chrysler Corporation in 1963? the Rockefeller family, David Rockefeller specifically. But it gets worse. President Kennedy had devised the C-notes because he was tired of the stranglehold the Federal Reserve had on the American people and the economy. They could cause a recession. They could cause a depression. They can cause inflation. They can cause deflation. He was tired of it. He said the power to coin money belongs to Congress as specified in the Constitution. So he created these C-notes a direct competitor. It was kind of like the Bitcoin of the day, if you want an analogy. It was competitive currency sanctioned by the president. He just spit in the face of the Federal Reserve. 
And who's one of the leaders of the Federal Reserve? David Rockefeller. I've already mentioned the oil depletion allowance, tax breaks for searching for oil that no other business gets. And Kennedy was in the process of cutting all this back. Well, we know who the biggest oil man in America was. Who was it? David Rockefeller. In May of 1963, John Kennedy gave a speech that I believe he signed his own death warrant. We live on the same small planet. We breathe the same air. And he was calling on the Russians to ban upper atmospheric nuclear testing. That's not what the military industrial complex wanted. You know, um, you had uh, Martin Marietta. Today it's Lockheed Martin. You had Raytheon Corporation. You had all these groups that were benefiting from nuclear arms buildup. Kennedy was in the process of scaling back or wanted to. He was negotiating secretly with Khrushchev using Norman Cousins at Khrushchev's vacation home to avoid scrutiny. And they were negotiating banning nuclear upper, upper atmospheric nuclear testing. Bad for the environment. But more importantly, we don't want to be doing this to each other. And this is why he said we all breathe the same air. We live on, all live on the same small planet. And Khrushchev was scared to death by the Cuban Missile Crisis, as was Kennedy. And this is why these two men had a meeting of the minds. This has been well documented in the last 15 years. Books have been written about it. Uh, documentaries have been done about this. And had John Kennedy lived, we'd have saved a hell of a lot of money by not producing um, enough nuclear weapons to wipe out the planet 100 times over. You only have to do it once. But when you add up our NBC, okay, nuclear biological chemical, we can wipe out the planet 100 times. And how many times do you have to do it? Well, that's right, one time. Um, enormous profits to the defense industry. Well, who was the main defense industry purveyor in 1963? Now, you guessed it. It was David Rockefeller. So let's just assume, and by the way, I've only covered maybe 25% of these financial connections. Who benefited when John Kennedy died? Follow the money. David Rockefeller, ladies and gentlemen. If I'm a homicide detective, this is my person of interest. This is where I start. Now, do I think David Rockefeller said, kill him? No, it was one of his lieutenants who knew what should be done. This is how people, oh, like the certain foundations out there, get away with making witnesses not testify because they have people who know what should be done, and these people maintain one degree of separation. But I will go to my grave believing David Rockefeller was the man, the conspirator behind the killing of John Kennedy. Lucian Sarti was one piece of that team in, in Dallas and fired the fatal headshot. By the way, Michelle Nicolay named Lucian Sarti by name. The man who paid off the assassins converted from heroin to American cash, he named him. We have so much confirmation of this that it's not even a dispute. And I would encourage you to take all the facts that I've said here and start checking them out because the picture emerges. Before Jim uh, Mars passed away, I had him on my show and I, and I said, Jim, let's have the friendly debate. And we decided this ahead of time, but we went on air. And I said to Jim, I said, Jim, it's Lucien Sarti. I said, absolutely no question. Here's what we got. And he actually, and I thought this is kind of beyond what Jim had previously said. It wasn't in contradiction to, it went a step further from what he had previously said. He was into CIA mafia hit and he was right. They were all elements that were involved. But I said, that assassin, the guy that actually pulled that trigger, 
And you want to know how bad it was? You think the FBI is newly corrupt? <laughs> Let's talk about a guy named James Groden. He worked for Time Life, owned by the Rockefellers. Please keep this in mind. And he's working kind of the midnight shift. And they got the Zapruder film that filmed the assassination that we've seen. And the Zapruder film was bought from Abraham Zapruder by Time Life for $100,000. He's there and basically has free run of the place. He puts on the film and he sees something the public's not seeing. In the first release of the film, they have the president's head going forward. That means a shot from behind. The avulsed hole that the Parkland Dallas doctors saw, the Parkland Hospital doctors said, entrance, exit, shot from the front. That's what Groden saw. And he realized that the public had been showed a doctored photo. He said for weeks he agonized over this. He felt that if anyone knew what he knew, he'd be a dead man. He's, he has said this on the men that killed Kennedy, and he's made several other statements since that time to that effect. Eventually, this gets leaked to Jim Garrison. He's the district attorney for New Orleans who brought the only court case in the killing of John Kennedy, in which he went after a man named Clay Shaw. He did not successfully prosecute him for planning the murder of John Kennedy, but he was the first to show the real film to the jury in the trial. And it showed the head going back and to the left, not what the public had been sold. So what did the FBI say? Because the FBI was in charge of the film processing at Time Life, Rockefeller Industry. It was just a processing error. So if you think this new deal that we have with Comey and Mueller and all the rest, McCabe and all these corrupt FBI agents, you think this is new? with the leadership of the FBI, J. Edgar Hoover was part of it. He was part of it. We have a tape now that got released with a conversation between LBJ and J. Edgar Hoover, and they're talking about, well, I got to form a commission, LBJ says. Yeah, it would be bad to have investigations. You know, the Senate's starting their investigation. Lyndon, we need to head this off. Oh, yeah, I'll start a commission and, and I'll investigate and we'll get all these other investigations stopped. These two men are conspiring on tape in a conversation that took place from the Oval Office on telephone to J. Edgar Hoover. And you hear it, J. Edgar Hoover on line two, Mr. President. That's public information. It's out there. It's not classified. It's not secret. It's out there. These two men, the head of the FBI, and the new president of the United States are conspiring to fix the investigation on John Kennedy. And then they even murdered a Warren Commission participant, which we're not going to get into now. I just want to, do I talk about this? No, let, let's come back to that another day, okay? I want to lead to the conclusion here. The conclusion is this, is that I have given you a good aerial view without a lot of detail. And you say, Dave, you've been talking now for how long? An hour and three minutes. And you're saying that you haven't given us detail? Not compared to what I know. I mean, I had trouble picking and choosing what I was going to tell you because you can go down these rabbit holes really, really far. I've told you what you need to know. 
John Kennedy was killed, in my humble opinion, David Rockefeller benefited. American history was changed. 56,000 Americans will die. 2,000 will go missing. Millions of Vietnamese will die who didn't deserve to die either. All in the name of political power, economic advancement. The world is now polluted with nuclear weapons. That didn't have to happen. And by the way, shortly after the Kennedy assassination, Khrushchev will be um, deposed and the international bankers were part of the deposing. Can't have peace. Can't have peace in our time. It's such a tragedy. When John Kennedy was killed, the American people that voted for him in 1960 had their vote taken away. And you have a coup d'etat executed in secret designed to change the leadership so you can change foreign and domestic policy. When that happens, you no longer live in a republic form of democracy. You live in an economic dictatorship, a corporate banking economic dictatorship. Today, I, I produced something actually yesterday called the real reason, the number one threat to President Trump. It's because he did away with the TPP, Trans-Pacific Partnership. And you heard me talk about this. This would have established corporate rule over America with veto power over any government agency or any court. A complete corporate economic dictatorship. And not only that, they excluded China on purpose. So China would get pissed off and want war. And that's what they're building towards right now in the South China Sea. They want the World War III and they want their economic dictatorship. And Donald Trump stands in the way of all of this. And I've gone into great detail to show you that J. Edgar Hoover is involved. Lyndon Johnson's involved. I believe Nixon and Gerald Ford were involved. Uh, Ford was a Warren Commission member who refused to look at the facts, even in the 90s when the facts were coming out. He denied what everybody knew was true. And then you've got Richard Nixon. Mr. Nixon, where were you on the day John Kennedy was killed? That used to be the question of the day for people who were alive in 1963. Okay, so what was the answer? Uh, I don't remember where I was. I think I was in New York catching a cab. No, he was in Dallas. George Bush. H.W., where were you at, sir? Uh, somewhere other than Dallas. <laughs> uh, no, you were in Dallas. We know from the mistress of LBJ, interviewed by Jim Mars, put into his book, Crossfire, that the mistress said she went to a meeting at Texas Oilman's Clint Murchison's house, and in came J. Edgar Hoover and LBJ and Richard Nixon and a bunch of other dignitaries, and they all met. LBJ hated the Kennedys because they always put him down. The Kennedys were blackmailed into having him as the vice president, courtesy of J. Edgar Hoover, because of some of the affairs that John Kennedy had had in the past, and they threatened him with exposure, and they wanted LBJ there as a safeguard. So if they had to get rid of Kennedy, they got their boy. LBJ comes out, and his mistress told Jim Mars that he said that we won't have to worry about the Kennedys much longer. This was the day before the assassination. We know the meeting took place. There's absolutely no question. Too many witnesses. We know who was there. We know how long they met. It was a coup d'etat at the top levels of the government involving members of the CIA, Alan Dulles, former CIA, the FBI, J. Edgar Hoover, 
And there were also key agents involved as well, too. The mafia was involved, which isn't a surprise because they were one and the same with the CIA in 1963 and trying to oust Castro. Do you know the day that John Kennedy was killed, he had a French journalist meeting with Fidel Castro to try to normalize relations? And right when the assassination happened, they were in the meeting. Castro excuses himself, comes back and says, I think our conversation is over. The American president's dead. Well, this has been on a number of documentaries. But when you have complicit participation from the top level of an American government like we had to kill a president who stood in the way of the new world order, what makes you think the same thing's not going to happen to Donald Trump? Let's look at who's conspired against him. Comey. Comey put Dealey Plaza with him in a photo that appeared in the New York Times interview in October of this year. You got Mueller, former head of the FBI as well, trying to get the president out by impeachment. That would have been a lot simpler than what has to happen now in their minds. We go down the list. You got McCabe. You've got Pelosi, Feinstein, the top Democratic senators all involved in the conspiracy to take Donald Trump down. It's 1963 all over again, folks. The similarities are eerie. I went through great detail, and, I, and I'm sorry if you think I've gone on too long. I could actually go on another nine or ten hours and still be energized because the topic still excites me because it makes me so angry. Our president is in grave, grave danger. Prayer is the answer, and you've heard me say this many times before, but this is where we're at. We are ruled by evil forces with evil backgrounds who have evil intent in their souls, and they serve the dark side. And I'm talking Schiff, Pelosi, um, name, name a presidential candidate for the Democratic Party, and they're pretty much the same thing. They don't stand for anything except the removal of Donald Trump from office. Why? Because he's the obstacle between corporate domination, new world order, subjugation of the American people, the evisceration of our rights, the destruction of our economy, because you can't have a new world order with an America that has freedoms and money. Got to eliminate it. We are the number one target of the new world order, and you are their number one target for elimination. The Deagle Report, which we know is a CIA report, the Deagle Report is out there, and it says that 90% of us will be gone by the year 2025. And you say, well, who cares about Deagle? Well, Please look this up, D-E-A-G-E-L. Look at who their partners are. Look at who their intelligence community partners are in the Deagle Report. And you'll get the same chill running up and down your spine that I did when I saw this. And this is why I tell you, you need to share the works of people that you trust. People who are bringing you the news that the lamestream media will not cover. I mean, look at what we've done on this show. With the help of people like Marilyn Rupar, we bring you foreign news accounts to tell you stories with validation, sometimes with Twitter videos of what's happening and how it affects America. And you don't hear a word about this inside the United States. This is why you have to do your part in sharing all this. I don't know how much longer we're going to be broadcasting. 
this new compass that are regulations, they can get you for anything. If I were to quote a child's poem just to prove a point, I would be guilty of inviting children to, to view me. And if I say, okay, this is not for children, and it's not. This topic I've given you tonight is not for children. But if I had a, a, a child's poem in here to illustrate a point, like putting putting JFK back together again, okay, I think you know where I'm going with that. They'd say, well, you're appealing to children. We're taking your channel down and we're finding $42,500 for that video. What if I have a photo of kids in a classroom and my story is on Common Core Education? I'm not designing this for kids to read. Kids don't make ec academic policies. Adults do. But they could still say the same thing. In fact, the law is so bad, they're going ex post facto, which is totally unconstitutional, but we don't have the rule of law anymore. You can't make guilty on Tuesday for something someone did on Monday. But I'm probably in a position where I got to go back and delete almost all of my videos from the past because I don't know when I made reference to a child's poem. I don't know when I've had a, a picture on a, um, a video that has bright and vibrant colors. And I say that attracts children. Do you understand this is a move by the FTC to take people down like me, take people down like Doug Hagman? Do you understand this is a move that's not going to be uniformly applied? CNN will be able to run whatever they want and nothing will happen to them. The same with Fox. But the minute that they can find a loophole on someone like me and someone else in the independent media, it's goodbye and here come the fines. We're going to be launching a campaign effort um, against this. And I will say this. I've been able to finagle a meeting. I'm not going to be any specifics at all because this meeting is going to take place with some very high-powered people in very high-powered places. And I'm going to be expressing my concerns because this ruling from the FTC is so vague that they can get anybody for anything because they don't want the truth in an election year. And, and I fear that if my channel goes away and if other channels go away, Donald Trump is left defenseless. That's my fear. My fear is we're the last bastion of truth tellers in America. I'm not tooting my horn. I'm talking about my colleagues and our collective efforts and the efforts that you all bring to the table. This is being directly threatened right now. And things like the Kennedy assassination will go unsolved. I remember before Jim died, Jim Mars passed away. I told Jim, I said, you know, Jim, if we had an independent media with all the technology we have today, if we had that 1963, the crime would have been solved before Christmas. He said, exactly, Dave, exactly. And he said, that's why I'm telling you, someday they're going to stop you from having your website, from your radio show, or anything else you do. When they want to make another move on a president, they're going to move to take people down first. The first thing you do when you go to war, and we're in a war, folks, we are in a civil war. The first thing they do is to take down command and control. Well, what's the command and control of the American patriot community? It's the independent media. And this is the target of this new COPPA regulation interpretation from the FTC their ruling is so broad that if I had a stadium shot of a crowd, okay, and they're at a football game, and there's 70,000 football fans, they could argue there must be children in that photo. 
you're inviting children. And it's a game. Oh, anything that's a game is children. So basketball, electronic games, this is how ridiculous this is. And this is why tonight I felt compelled to come on here and spend over an hour talking about the Kennedy assassination, linking it in part to Donald Trump to tell you that I may not get many more chances to tell you this. And it's not even so much YouTube. It's the Federal Trade Commission that's after us. It's a deep state organization, and they want to eliminate the conservative voice. And I'm saying this to you because I'm hopeful that I'm going to come out of my so-called high-powered meeting with an action plan. And I'll be launching that action plan on my website at thecommonsenseshow.com. And I won't be alone. Listen, uh, my colleagues are beginning to really wake up to what's going on. When I first heard it, my son told me, he says, Dad, have you seen this? And I said, oh, son, we don't do anything for kids. I said, we protect kids by talking to adults about trafficking, about crappy education, okay, about untested vaccines in some cases. I said, that's how we protect kids. We're not doing stories for kids. We certainly don't exploit them. I looked at it now and I'm saying, yeah, we're all in a lot of trouble. If you want the truth from now on going forward, you're going to be in a lot of trouble unless we organize. Because when our voice is gone, I'm telling you, when the lights go out, that's when the fun begins. When the lights go out and the power goes out, that's when the purge happens. This is a direct warning from the Common Sense Show to America. You are ready to enter a new phase and a new phase that could change the face of this country forever. And it won't be anything that any of us want to live in, provided we get to live through it. Deagle Report. That's it for the Common Sense Show. This will be the longest presentation I will ever have done. At one time, I did not know I could monologue for an hour and 17 minutes. Um, I suppose I could. I've gone and I've done Kennedy assassination presentations that have gone two and a half hours. I've done that. But what I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, is that the time for action is now. This isn't time to be in a spectator sport. I'll be back with more news. I'm going to keep going. Um, I, I kind of feel like I'm in baton, and I'm not going to surrender to the Japanese because those guys suffered hell. You're better off fighting and dying in your foxhole. So I'm not going to make deals with the devil. I'm not going to be allowed. I've actually been approached in the past. You know, Dave, if you'd soften your rhetoric a little bit, we could help you. I've been told this. Well, I'm not softening my rhetoric ever. I'm going to tell what I see is the truth. I'm going to go where the data I feel takes me. And I, and I will not make a deal with the devil. And I do believe that we will see people in the alternative media. I, see, I think we'll see them capitulate to the other side. And in some cases, I think some of that's already happened. It's up to you to be discerning about who's t- telling the truth. And I would say use your Christian lie detector. Pray about it. Trust your inner wisdom. Go with what your heart tells you God is saying to you. And I will see you back here next time. God bless all of you for joining me. I'll see you on the other side.